You're listening to Uncharted Pages, the book review podcast where we read and review the War of the Spark novel by Greg Feisman. I am your host, David Wolf, and I'm joined here by my co-host, Alan Harrison. All right, Al. Very exciting happenings this week. Oh, yes. Oh, over. Well, well, when I was reading this, I was having a party because it is part three and um, <laughs> we're off to act three. Well, that's, that doesn't, the joke doesn't work very well in act three. Yeah. But um. Uh, was <laughs> we're off to a disappointing start. Well, I mean, not disappointing anymore. I guess I'm already used to, <laughs> to what this is. But uh, there was, I feel like, um, I mean, my impression now, I guess when we, we talk about it when we get to the actual chapters, but it feels like things are very rushed now. There's lots, lots of skipping. Hey, this happened. Uh, that's that's a theme I felt of uh, these next few chapters. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, there's a few very short chapters as well, which is kind of like, ah, oh, oh, what are you doing? Just put them all in one chapter. Why, why are you following this convention of having each chapter be named with the person whose point of view it is, even though it's not actually from their point of view, because there's technically a narrator, but the narrator speaks in their voice, and oh, I'm just super sick of this. I mean, it's, it's like, I suppose, I probably drew a parallel before to Game of Thrones, and I guess, I mean, a lot of, a lot of other books do this, uh, like Song of Ice of Fire, where, I mean, each chapter is after a different character, but the chapters are so flavoured with that character. Uh, there's no, um, you know, it's, it's each one has a very different feel. Whereas, yeah, even though the viewpoint changes, uh, I think just the tone of the narration uh, really doesn't match or it doesn't switch uh, to reflect that. There's quite, there's some glaring, well, in this first Royal chapter that we're on now, there's a pretty significant view break. Well, we had that, we had lots of them already, but that like the chapter being so short means there's 69 of them. I mean, that's a, that's such a large number. Yeah, that is, that's a unnecessarily large. <laughs> maybe, maybe the, the, the the you know the twelve year old boy in in a uh, in Greg Weisman just wanted to write a book with sixty nine chapters. I can very motivation for all of this. Yeah, I can I can easily believe that. I think the the twelve year old boy in Greg Weisman was kind of at the helm for most of this book. <laughs> it seems like he edited it as well. Yeah, definitely. Oh God, yeah, it's um yeah. I mean, <laughs> we can get into it. Um, I mean, I suppose yeah, quite fitting. Fifty Raz Eric opens. But everything I've tried has failed. Everything. So uh, maybe this was uh, the adult uh, Greg Weisman trying to child. And uh, you know, maybe it's like a, a dog whistle for the reader to be like, <laughs> I know this book is terrible. <laughs> Forgive me. It's uh, Greg's inner struggle. <laughs> well, there's no fucking inner struggle with any of these other characters. I'd rather see that. <laughs> Very true. Well, here, this this is all about Ral's inner struggle, right? Yeah, in fairness, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, yeah, ironically, I said that now we actually are coming to one of the few chapters that does have uh, some uh, inner turmoil, and uh, it is a welcome thing, I will say. I, I'm kind of like a bit nonplussed by it. I think it, it seems a bit tortured to me. Uh, so that the whole chapter is kind of centered around Ral beating himself up mentally for his many failures, and then the planeswalkers coming together and making their plan, which is not a very good plan, but anyway. <laughs> Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And Raoul, I, I don't really get the whole self-flagellation thing that he's going through here. Like, what has he really done that's so wrong, uh, so bad, <laughs> and failed so horribly? Like, I feel like we we don't really know because you haven't had this sort of book before it. Uh, I think so much of what he's talking about here uh, is from this uh, prequel novel that never happened. Sure. Or that actually, I think it was recently released. Had yeah. now after. After so many episodes of recording this, many months. Um, I mean, obviously, look, he whatever his actions led to Hakara dying, but sure, look, she's back to life now. Everything's grand. Exactly, it's like nothing's gone wrong. Uh, this, this, this is fine. <laughs> Niv Mizzet, in fairness, didn't do much. Uh, when he came back, he just kind of ripped Kefnet's arm off, and that was about it. But uh, you know, Ral can't really be blamed for that. He didn't. He didn't know kind of state Niv Mizzet would be when he came back. And then they keep on referring to that as being the Firemines plan. So I mean Yeah. Not if, sure. if, 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 if yeah, if a colleague didn't give a adequate enough handover when they were leaving the company, I mean there's not much you can do about it. That's so true. It's not your fault. So relatable. <laughs> exactly. This when you mentioned uh Hikara being back, uh there actually is a line and she seemed to be and she seemed to be the same her same wacky old self. <laughs> old wacky self. <laughs> She's from. Yeah, something had changed in her. It's oh. Like, has he changed or not? Come on. <laughs> yeah, that was a bit. That's a bit wishy washy, isn't it? Oh, she's she's changed in some 
entirely unquantifiable way. Well, there there actually is a quantifiable way in that she can't see rat anymore. But again, it's like, what does that mean? Because yeah, we we no idea what it means. Yeah, it's because it's um it's so poorly explained to us what you know rat's ability is, what it means when someone can't see her anymore. Uh, I I get that that is a sad thing. It's a sad change in someone. Um, but I mean, like, I don't I don't know if I have I mentioned this before. Um, I think for me, one of the most emotional moments of magic I read. Well, actually, more one of my probably even in other literature, it's is a pretty high moment for me. A scene I absolutely loved was uh in the uh, Dragons of Tahir of Tahir um you know storyline when uh, Sarkhan you know he goes back into the past, he changes the past, he makes the world he lives in a very different place where it's ruled by dragons instead. And uh, he's like you know, when he's back in this new world, he's all very kind of he's kind of confused and a little bit scared. And then he sees uh, Zergo, his you know his old nemesis, and he kind of like you know. Holds out his arms and says, says, Oh my god, it's Ergo. I'm so glad to see you, even though we hated each other before. You're someone familiar who I know. And then he realizes that Zergo has just been completely Zergo went from being this war leader to being this uh, the, the leader of this clan to uh being completely subservient to um the dragon uh Colagon. And it's kind of that realization of like him feeling sorry for his enemy, seeing now how orderly changed his enemy was. And uh, he kind of has this sympathy now for, for Zergo. Uh, it's such a it's such a great powerful moment, which I think to have some things in common with kind of Hikara's transformation that she's changed, but she has lost something. Um, but I mean, I think it was just delivered so much better uh, in the Kansas Takir plot. Yeah, I mean, well, well that's that's probably eh, I feel like that's a more dramatic change, or maybe that's a trope that's easier to kind of understand, easier to resonate, like the. Oh, I, I've I've gone away, and now things are different. But I guess the whole like resurrection is also a fairly resurrection with with uh, an imperfect resurrection. Let's say is also a, a trope. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I suppose yeah, it's probably not fair to compare it with the boat entirely. But I guess uh, it's just, well overall that 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 small. This, this is a short story even, and I had a just far more emotion than this uh, entire novel. Yeah, man, that can, that whole Khan's storyline was just fantastic. I know, God. What was the chapter Canfall? Was that what it was called? Where, uh, yeah, so good. Oh, oh my god, <laughs> you should have read out and said, that'll be the bonus podcast. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, at least this shows to our listeners that, uh, we, we don't hate all magic, all magic lore literature. No, no, definitely not. If anybody listening has not, you know, if anybody is like a newer player or doesn't know magic at all, even you can go back to the cons of Tarkir storyline and read those stories for free completely for free on the wizard's website i believe they're all still there um you just you know uh google like uncharted pages no not uncharted pages that's this podcast just... uh, <laughs> google what was it called Un- uncharted realms no uncharted, uncharted realms yeah uncharted realms uh just google that uncharted realms cons here and you'll get a great little uh storyline from start to finish from cons to to dragons um, really enjoyable storyline and, and Canfall is a, definitely a highlight for me uh, yeah so go back if you're tired of this stuff <laughs> uh, read, read some good magic lore yeah and then I suppose you know, at the risk of um, of degrading entirely uh, there is a in the, in the latest magic, magic gathering set uh, Throne of Eldraine uh, I haven't read the book there's a, there's a book that goes with it um, I can't remember what the book is called The Wild Red Quest that's it, Wild Request, yeah. I haven't read it, but I saw the, the professor from Clarion Community College. Uh, he did a... So it was actually his his book review of, of The Word of Spark and him wanting to like it so much, but, you know, really struggling to find, struggling to struggling to find a way to like it. Uh, that's what kind of, uh, one thing that kind of prompted me to kind of come to it, or it prompted us to, to you know, do this podcast or to even read a book in the first place. But uh, he's reviewed um, The Wild Request Quest and uh, he's just he's just going up at how absolutely better better it is that it's, it's an actual story with actual characters and actual plots, and uh, it seems it seems to be very very good. Yeah, the I I am super interested in to to read that one because I feel like there are some characters in the game that aren't like I'm not getting a sense of who they are or what they've been doing. Like specifically here, I'm thinking about like Oko and uh, Garrick. So Garrick is a much-loved planeswalker making his return to the magic story. And Oko is a new planeswalker who's kind of the villain of the whole thing. And uh, yeah, I, I think I think it's 
Oko is is not super well characterized in like in terms of the visual story. Like it, like his card is cool, the art is cool, but I don't really know all that much about him. And I'd like to read that book to get an idea more. And of course, uh, the the Rowan Will and Rowan Will and Rowan Kenrith, uh, those the the Kenrith twins. I'd like to learn more about them as well. So yeah, uh, maybe we'll. <laughs> read that book and, and again we could do a, a bonus podcast on it or something i don't know that'd be good or or we could read uh eric Weisman's, uh sequel to the word of spark oh, please no <laughs> the people really want <laughs> well if there is demand we'll do it i guess yeah 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 um but anyway so back to this uh okay Ra- so yeah the planeswalkers yeah brow so I, I think a scene which really kind of studied, or something that really came very very bad was we have a scene when where the Gatewatch uh, renew their Gatewatch vows. Um, so this is kind of something that, it kind of happens, it's something that, it's 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 kind of given to be a powerful moment, because uh, I guess, yeah, we mentioned, I think, last week, uh, that when the Gatewatch first made their vows, that was you know, a relatively powerful, powerful moment. Um, yeah. But then, so, look, Ral's watching this from the outside, but, like, he doesn't have any background with the Gatewatch. Uh, he doesn't, um, yeah, as far as, as far as I know, he doesn't know what the Gatewatch is. That, you know, that starts this off is, uh, then he grasped, so yeah, him and Tomic have a moment. Uh, then he, the Tomic, then Tomic grasped Ral's hands in his own, and they turned to listen as one by one the Gatewatch renewed their oaths. But he doesn't, Ral doesn't know what they're doing. Well, I think the Gatewatch as a group are well known now, like at this point in the multiverse, like most planeswalkers, I think, would have kind of heard of them. They would have. <laughs> traveled through the multiverse grapevine as far as i know that that's what i've kind of picked up from a few little things that the, the gatewatch are like famous among planeswalkers but uh yeah about the oaths I, I can't imagine that they would particularly know like know anything about their oaths because it's like they the line they repeat is i will keep watch and like i said that's it's not necessarily obvious from an, from an outsider presumably but he's an outsider uh that you know this is an oath that they're taking i think Maybe even if he was familiar with the Gatewatch, uh, this would just sound like gibberish. Yeah, and I think it's... like the, the oath we have: Gideon, Jace, Chandra, and the fairy. Um, oh, and then and uh, Johnny as well. Give oaths, maybe on the next page to somebody else. And um, Nissa. Yeah. So yeah. So each person's oath is. Uh, I don't know how to describe. I don't know how to describe this. It feels like the characterization of Rangers in terms of the other way. The Power Rangers, right? Each Power Rangers is a different color. Yeah. Uh, the Power Rangers, when they're in their normal day-to-day clothes, they still wore the colors that they wear. You know, like Bobby always wore was Bobby Blue Ranger. Yeah, Bobby always wore you know, denim because <laughs> he's like, yep. Yeah. I guess you know maybe the day he became Blue Ranger, he's like, yep, yeah, gotta throw away all my other clothes because I'm I'm just gonna wear blue for now on. <laughs> so I mean, it's like all right, we have I think I think one thing that and it's just something that's gonna happen straight to novel I think uh, where. So Teferi's power. So Teferi's power is you know, he can control time. But like his oath is about time. You know, it's like, God damn it, Teferi. It's nothing more to your character than than mentioning time. God damn it. He always mentions time. I think literally every time, every time, every time he's been on screen, he said something about time or be doing something with time. Uh then we have Chandler Chandler Lara has uh, talking about uh freedom, because freedom is what red mages do. Uh Gideon talks about justice and peace. It's like these these are really I mean it's yeah, I guess it's their what they're saying is consistent with their character. But like it's almost like I feel like this sequence of each of them saying something like this emphasizes how flat their characters are. Yeah, like it's very on the nose, right? Um obviously the when you look at planeswalkers, they have a clear color identity because the like the the color pie is a fantastic tool for understanding things and for breaking things down and stuff like that and one of the really cool things about the the mark rosewater blog is sometimes people will ask him like oh what color identity would this popular character be who's like obviously not associated with magic at all uh like what does he say like batman would be like mardu or something um and and that helps you understand the character better but here like we already know that these characters are are associated with those colors and those, you know, the, the values of those colors. So why not try to deepen their character in another way instead of just plainly telling us 
things that they're already associated with. Yeah, yeah. And and this is a point that um the professor made during his review of uh of um the Wilder Crest and that we're introduced to the, the main characters, the Kendricks, the Kendrick twins are uh, you know, Blue Planeswalker and a Red Planeswalker, uh, and they're kind of introduced as the main characters. No, they are the main characters. But he says straight away it's evident that like say uh, uh is is you know, she's red, but kind of she has her aspects of her personality are of the red color wheel or kind of yeah, she has things in common with the red wedge of the color wheel uh but she's still also a deep character you know it's like it's it's not as plain as you know chandra's wacky and she's can't be held down she's impulsive uh aspect whereas you know rowan's characterization yeah is in alignment with you know what red means on the color wheel wheel but uh you know also just also a three-dimensional character no it's you could do both yeah it's part of why i hate chandra's character so much she's just she's she's a wisecracker she has a temper she's very passionate she is she's literally you know a pyromancer sets things on fire so she's just way too on the nose for me like the other the other uh gatewatch people often are as well but chandra is is her character in a more annoying way? I feel. Um, I, I I think it's yeah. That, that's actually the way I see her as well. Where yeah, it's it's just very obvious what she is. Yeah. Uh, Maybe what's what's her um on, on Magic Arena? I don't know why I was doing it. on Magic Arena. I went on to uh, the this is a video game or the the um for Magic with the Gathering. I went onto the character select screen. Now I said before how like the one liners all the characters have are like <laughs> characterize them a lot better than you know this novel does, and then. Um, you know, a few times I clicked on Chandra and she said, what, my hair is on fire? <laughs> wow. Oh, God. What a great line. <laughs> Maybe Will and Rowan are more three-dimensional because they're so close that their personalities temper each other a little bit. I think so, yeah. Yeah, and that, that probably is part of it. Um, that I, yeah, because I think, yeah, red, red and blue are, yeah, opposites on the color wheel. Um, and it's, it's, they do have, you know, yeah, uh, uh, you know, a deep and interesting relationship. Hmm. And then, yeah, and then even like I remember before actually, <laughs> I risk of talking about the professor the whole time. Uh, the, he, so Gark, the character in the Builder Crest, uh, he blew him before, and there was a big conflict he had with uh, Lidiana. And I was all kind of like, you know, who's going to win, Gark or Lidiana? And that was, I think, that was kind of the build up to one of these magic sets where they were kind of fighting each other. Um, and at the, at the time, Professor had a big video about how. Uh, Liniana is just so much of a better character than Garak is because Garak was just so I'm a big green guy and I like killing things. <laughs> I'm a hunter. Uh, but then, but then the professor actually concedes that uh, in this book, The Builder Quest, uh, Garak, you know, even though he was extremely two dimensional before, uh, now he becomes a um, who is deep and has you know uh, has a lot of character development um, and is a character. Yeah, that like that's great. Uh, I'm look I'm looking forward to reading this book. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Should talk about this for the rest of the podcast. Because uh, meanwhile, we have uh, we have lines over here. One of the last lines of the chapter is uh Chandra looked like a giddy schoolgirl, ready to jump up and down in place." Oh dear God, is that is that a typical schoolgirl activity? Oh, I don't think it is. <laughs> There's a wonderful subreddit uh, I, I just started looking at recently called um, "Or Men Writing Women." I think it's called. Ah, oh, fantastic! Uh, it's just all excerpts from. It's so good. Oh, it's unbelievable. Um, yeah, so it's excerpts from yeah books where it's very obvious that a man giving a woman, and um, yeah, this I feel like this actually fits pretty well in there. It's like, is is that what giddy schoolgirls do? I mean, written fiction they do it, but <laughs> do they do it in real life? They certainly do it in like anime, which is, I mean, anime is a extremely generally a fairly sexist medium. Exactly, yeah, and I, that's what that's probably why he was visioning uh, for writing this. Yeah, um, it, it is actually the lines. Of- about the like men writing women like it, it's it's funny how you you can actively know once you start to realize it or whatever uh you you, you can actively notice how badly men write female characters when you know that the author is a man but th- recently i've been trying to write write not write read uh read more books by female authors and i read actually forget the name of the author <laughs> which is bad but hold on uh i'll find her name now but the the book that i read by her was a book called washington black which is about uh sorry okay so her name is essie ed ed edigan I'm, I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly but um yeah it is 
an interesting book. It's set on like a slave plantation in like around the time that the that slavery was abolished in the United States. Uh, it's a Caribbean slave plantation. Uh, it, go, it goes it goes on from there, but it's a it's a really interesting book. And the main pretty much all the main characters are men, but it's written by a woman. And as a man reading it, I had no problem with any of the characters. I didn't feel like there was any like inconsistencies or like oh a man would never do that. But yet you see that a lot of time with men writing women. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, something I I was starting to become more, more aware of you know, in my own writing because yeah. I write. And um, I even it's so easy just to I found myself kind of slipping into even even I realizing that it, it's only kind of by looking back something I wrote a while ago I realized that you know yeah this is very much you know the way I characterize these people is very much based on you know my own limited my own limited perspective of the world yeah definitely so kind of probably being tempered by you know all the majority of media all around me um, yeah if you like it's people talk about stuff like the Beckel tests uh, for you know two women in the movie having dialogue or in a story having dialogue yeah another one is uh, the sexy lamp test. Sexy lamp. Uh, a female character. You can replace a female character with a sexy lamp. Ah. Um, that's that's not a good sign. Yes. And that's that's the case with so many movies where yeah, a female character is is serves no purpose but to be the prize for the main character, being the hero, save of the day. And that's 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 just ubiquitous. Like. Yeah, and we have to kind of strive to do better than that. Yes. So um so I mean, well, you know, but <laughs> so we do have Chandra looking, um, you know, looking like a giddy schoolgirl, uh, but truth be told, as cynical and as fetus as Ral currently felt, the six oats were more than a little inspiring. Ral's realizing, you know what? I understand why Chandra's looking like a giddy schoolgirl, because deep down he feels giddy too. <laughs> yes, I I have a few things that I noticed in this chapter actually that I want to go back over that were just a bit confusing for me. Um, one of them was, th- this wasn't confusing, this was just annoying. It's been done a few times by Greg in the book. Um, so it's when, this is when Ral first starts, uh, Ral, Ral first kind of comes over to the group of planeswalkers and he hears Gideon speaking to the assembled crowd and he mentions something about the tenor of his voice and then it goes into italics, there's a hyphen and it goes into italics and it says baritone actually. And obviously this is, Greg playing with the fact that you know people that that's like an expression like the tenor of someone's voice but oh Gideon is a big manly man so his voice is is baritone and it's like why are you saying this as like an aside to the audience as like a wink wink nudge nudge I don't care just use the normal phrase and carry on with it like because he's done this so often I think this this is always a this is a pretty bad example of it. I mean, a good example of how bad it gets. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, we constantly see this where it's kind of like, it's like almost like as he's writing, this Titanic story, as he, he's writing, uh, he's at his laptop, he's uh, writing sentence. Uh, the very tenor of his voice was reassuring. Fine, he thinks, oh, well, I guess it really would be a baritone. Ha ha ha. Except what kind of makes Greg uh, Weissman different to other writers is you know, he presses backspace and he puts in that little aside <laughs> in italics and then continues the sentence. Yeah. Uh, we see this, was, we, we got caught up on one before. It was, um, it's a joke about kind of planes walking and walking on the plane or in the plane, something like that. Uh, um, I, I, I'm Honestly, I probably blocked that out of my memory. <laughs> yeah, something like uh, on Ravnicate or rather in Ravnicate. It's something like that. Oh, yeah. It's like, what? What? <laughs> Who's he talking to? Yeah, it's it, it. You can actually. I, I think I probably made this point last time. It's it's the 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 fact that you can you read it and it just looks so odd. And then you think about how he wrote it, and you're like, oh, he probably like realized this idea midway through the sentence, and then went back to write it, like you said. And it's just it just completely takes you out of the book because you're just then you're just sitting about you're sitting thinking about Greg Weisman in his underpants typing away on his MacBook. Exactly, exactly. It's uh, it's almost like saying, by the way, you're you're reading a book written by a man. Yeah, it's it, books. You forget oh. you're reading a book. What you're reading. Like that's so not I, what you want from a magic novel. Like sometimes <laughs> you want a fourth wall breaking, mind bending type book, but that's not what this is doing. This is just taking me out of the immersion of a thing that I really want to be immersed in. It's supposed to be fantasy. It's escapism. It's like 
Yeah, you don't want to be uh, you don't want to be pulled out of it uh, unless someone's doing something very good, yeah, smart and post water or something. But I mean, I feel like I'd almost be okay with this if it was if it was Ral's thing he did. Like that, I make I think that'd be a little bit better. But like all the characters do this. Yeah, the, the whole cast of whatever thirteen like we've seen this in like every other chapter. Yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, I'm not into it. The next the next bone I have to pick is. When they're explaining the plan, okay, so the, so the plan breaks down as everybody who can't fly attack Bolas's Citadel and the Eternals on the ground. Everybody who can fly attack in the air and Gideon will go close to Nicol Bolas and stab him with the big sword. And that's a good plan. Anyway, uh, that's how the plan breaks down. But in the prelude to discussing this plan or coming up with the plan, Somebody mentions, I don't know if it's Ral himself or one of the other planeswalkers, I didn't I didn't write that down, but uh somebody mentions that Bolas has pulled back the bulk of all his forces to the Citadel, and I would just like to know why he has done that. I have no idea why. There's no explanation offered. Yeah, that is that is very strange. And it's and God, I I haven't opened it to me. I just want to see if I can just if I can just see it, but um like, yeah, so it's are you saying it's something like it's setting it up? plan is set up to work because he's bonus has done this strange i mean the plan would likely be better if he hadn't done that because the plan involves them attacking the citadel so if it has more defenders then that's worse for them and sets up a big massive battle which obviously is good for the story but i don't really know why that's happening because like why did he pull his forces back like the explanations could be offered i guess like the portal closed the immortal sun got shut off but I don't know specific. Like Nicol Bolas has been fairly, uh, what's the word? Like he ha- he hasn't cared so far really about anything that's gone on. So why does he care now? Why is he pulling all his forces back? And it's not something that we've seen happen on screen as such. It's just a character telling us now that this has happened. Here's an update for you, Ravnica News Bulletin. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like then like a yeah, guy that's asking question and how did this character know that? Yeah. Do it happen? And yeah, you're, it's, it's, it's not... Anyway, that's that's kind of all the bones to, I had to pick with this chapter. Yeah, it's... it's um, it was, for such a short chapter, yeah, there was a lot wrong with it. Right, so then... I think, I mean... We, we, get, we then get three short chapters. So we get Chandra, Vraska, and Chandra again in quick succession. And, oh my God, in the Chandra chapter, basically Gideon and Jace ask her to go back to the Azoria Senate and switch the immortal sun back on. I could not believe that because it was. Oh. Cause I mean, yeah, it was, it was a chapter we were divided on. It was a big moment when she destroyed it the first time, uh, and that was a big win. It even ended by saying mission accomplished. But now it's like, oh, I gotta go back. Like what the actual fuck? Like this is where you can see that this book was not edited because an editor would come in and go, hold on, can that not all be in the one thing? Like Chandra and Nissa go to like take care of that and have their big fight with Dovin Ban and but they leave it on and they but I guess like some planeswalkers got away when they did this but no, nobody of consequence like planes walked away it was just a lot of unknown planeswalkers that that fecked off right when the sun was switched off exactly and then it's like because I think because they're, talk, they're now worried about Bolas leaving is that what it was yeah so they're like oh well we want to fight Bolas now but wait hold on now that the sun switched off he can leave Ravnica Oh, uh, we probably should have thought of that before. Oh, sorry, guys. It's so bad. Oh, my God. I mean, we, we know the real reason, right? The, the real reason is to have... Uh, what's the way to describe it? False, falsely engineered tension for Dak's storyline, Dak Vaden's storyline. So, like, we had that moment of realization with for Dak where he's like, oh, I can leave. But no, I'm going to choose to stay. I'm going to choose to be a good man. I'm going to choose to be the type of man that I think, uh, you know, I should be. However, let me just point out that we could have had that anyway without this whole immortal son rigmarole because Dak went to feckin' Amonkhet. So he could have planes walked away from there. So he, he just, he have that same moment of realization and that same feeling and then still just decide to come back and even if he came back and the immortal sun was on and he was locked in the plane, it would actually have more impact because in the next couple of chapters, like we see, we see Dax's final chapter, spoiler, uh, and 
he kind of has it in the back of his mind. He's like, oh, that's my safety net. I can planeswalk away if things get hairy. And you're kind of like, well, that just removes all tension from it, doesn't it? Or exactly. yeah. it, it removes oh, yeah, yeah. any weight from his decision, really. And then, you know, then yeah, I think it's his chapter, but I think, what well, he tries to walk away, then can't. And, and then it just feels like, oh, that's unfortunate. Like, it doesn't feel like uh, some kind of poetic justice or it doesn't feel like any kind of um, resolution to his arc. It's like, oh, that was just really bad timing for Dak. Uh, and now he's dead. Yeah, well, but we, we get that after I guess we can talk about it. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, just I was just thinking there, and I'm sure. I think right the things. I think the elements that were important. I I, I like the sequence when the Eternal Sun switched off. We had this bittersweet moment where we thought they'd achieved something, but then when you know other planeswalkers started to leave, you realize oh we don't not everybody not everybody is as selfless as our heroes. Uh, so I think that much is fine. I think they could have just gotten around. Like, what was the conversation? You know, in this chapter went. Like, oh, we're going to go after Bolas. What if he planes walk? What if he planes walks away? Uh, and someone says, oh no, uh, he can't planes walk away. What he can't planes walk away until the uh, Elder spell is complete. And we now only have what two hours, and now there's a countdown. Like that, I feel like that that kind of raises the stakes and also gets rid of this, you know, backtracking uh, that we have with Chandra. Yeah, that that is a good idea, actually. I mean, the Elder spell. In, in terms of its mechanics and how it works and what importance it has and what payoff it has is so nebulous in the story. It's kind of like we don't really know exactly how the Elder Spell is operating, uh, what it's giving to Bolas, how he's doing it. Uh, so I think adding an extra little restriction in there would be pretty decent. Like we could have Tamio reveal that, like she's very well learned or whatever. Any any you know any one of these planeswalkers who's who's ancient or Ugin could show up or something. I don't know. Uh, as as I'm sure he does yeah. later on, um, but yeah, uh, one 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 thing that I did like in this Chandra chapter was uh, when Ral come not not Ral Dak, we keep confusing those two. Uh, Dak comes over to uh, to the Planeswalkers and he offers his opinion, and instead of my two cents, he says my two Xenos. I really enjoyed that. that yeah, reminds you of uh, yeah Rick and Morty, like a couple of speckles. Yeah. By two Xenos. And you know, that's that's actually the kind of minor world building that I've said has been I what kind of felt was lacking, you know, throughout the rest of the book where I mean stuff like uh I think it was very early chapter, very early episode where I mentioned uh oh yeah, it's been a whole lot of time a whole lot of times characters use uh really um wait really bad cliches. You uh you you your microphone cut off when you said it was an early episode when I mentioned uh something. I like I'll start I said it's good. So I think, like in an early episode, or yeah, earlier on, I guess in in, in, the, in the earlier episodes, there was uh, something I mentioned was how Greg has started using lots of really bad cliches, like cliches that make sense in this world but don't necessarily fit in with uh, with you know the world around it. Like I guess even just in the last chapter, um, of Chandra giggling like a schoolgirl. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that being from Al's point of view, if he just said something like. Uh, I don't know, giggling like a pair of uh, goblin chemisters or something like that. G- giggling like a goblin ke- goblin chemister on her from is it school? You know, so, so they, they could put something else in there to build the world slightly. And I think this year is a perfect example. And it, it shows the fact that you, you pointed it out as being something positive in this very, very bad chapter. Uh, so quickly just changing sense, two cents to two xenos uh, is just a really nice way of building a world, you know, building character and not sending shade. If he had said, uh, my two cents, and you know, I'm sure, I'm sure the two of us will be throwing our hands up in the air. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe even earlier draft for this, maybe an early draft of this novel he did changed. Maybe we'll we'll never know. Uh, yeah, it is a nice way to to do a bit of world building. Uh, like w- we have previously given Greg shit for for throwing just throwing stuff in, but I feel like like uh Dak in particular was pretty bad for this in like basically whatever situation he was in he's like oh i stole a uh, zibidi from this plane called badoopadoop and uh it lets me do this magical spell of uh sundering plus two and that, that's how i'm going to solve this particular problem that i find myself in at this particular moment and that's just a load of mcguffin stuff that just seems to be made up on the spot which is fine whatever i i mean i i'm not super learned in, in in terms of Dak's backstory like we get a, a lot of stuff in the in the next chapter or whatever uh little little hints and teasers at Dak's backstory that I actually don't know what they mean 
So maybe some of those things that he's talking about are legitimate and have been in stories before and are callbacks. But to me, they just sound like complete nonsense and just made up on the spot. But this kind of thing, like currency is obviously key to any, you know, kind of medieval high fantasy setting. And I think, you know, putting putting the mention of, of currency in the book here is nice. We, we have heard about Xenos before, but this is replacing, you know, a, a real life phrase with an in-universe word. Um, seems cool. Exactly. And I, I think some of that, it's hard. It's it, it's hard to do this role building well when you're just giving little bits of information. Uh, I think it's very easy to mess up and uh, yeah, get get some zibbities from the plane of Bab Babdu. Yeah, <laughs> when, when it works, it is very good. I think yeah. One other episode before we're talking about how uh, we like to swear words to other characters used in in other stories. Yeah, um, like blood and blood and ashes, blood and bloody ashes mm-hmm. uh, from uh, from the wheel of time. And yeah, it's it, when it works, it works really well. Yeah, it, work, it has worked here. Okay, so that's the plan. The Chandra asks Nizza to go with her. They're off to see the wizard. No, they're off to go to the sun. And uh, then we move on to a, a quick Vraska chapter. Honestly, I have... I have... Sorry, just before we go, guys. Sorry, uh, just before we move on, one, one line that really annoyed me in this Chandra chapter, okay. uh, which I think really emphasizes how rushed this whole side quest is. Uh, it's sort of like, yeah, it's funny, yeah, they decide to go. And then the, the line is, minutes later... Chandra had Sahili Rai by her side and a small squadron of the toughest rank and file guild, guild members she could find at their backs. And like that's all the, that's that's you know, she assembled a team off screen and we don't even get to see them. And the chapter's over. Yeah. <laughs> Just going back to our our discussions about bystanders and urchins, like rank and file also is very demeaning towards background characters. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Was on the said disposable guild member. <laughs> yeah, red shirts. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Okay, Vraska. I have no idea of the purpose of this chapter. It's useless. Oh, it's fan service, right? Yeah. Uh, this one, Jace asks her out. Yeah, it just. Uh, it was very tough to read. It's just like, uh, are you my girlfriend? Uh, are you? My <laughs> oh yeah, I think we are. Let's uh, let's kiss. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely agree. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely despise this chapter because uh, I mean, I think it's kind of, it's almost like making um, you know, you know Frasca into a sexy lamp that uh, Jace has won, uh, and it's just, yeah, it, 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 it kind of makes it feel like the only purpose of their arc was to reach this moment. Yeah, very forced to contrive. But then, yeah, maybe this, this, this kind of for a whole other discussion. But I feel like now, I mean, I was really surprised to see the large, uh, this is the large volume of Magic fans who. Where you know, quote unquote, shipping Brasket and Jace is to be a thing that happened. And I think I'm, 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 maybe this is I'm, I'm becoming a begrudgingly old man, but I feel like just the, the term shipping, uh, picking two characters in a story who may or may not have any kind of relationship with another, um, but you know, quote unquote, shipping them as in like groups of fans who hope that the, that these two fans, that these two characters get together. Like, is this like a new phenomenon? Like, I've only really noticed it like two years. Mm. Fandom kind of thing. I mean, it's new in the grand scheme of things, but like the, the name for it is relatively new, but I don't know how long it's been going on for. I feel like it was happening in like anime and stuff like that well before it came to Western stuff, but not too yeah. far. I mean, I'm fine with it, whatever. I think for... it, it just, if, if the, like if it becomes big enough, it basically assures that that thing will happen. Because at some point, creators just want to please their fans, and they know that this thing will please their fans. So it kind of makes the thing inevitable. Which I think, yeah, is the purpose of this chapter. And I mean, I think, also, yeah, in fairness, yeah, Jason Braska did have uh, a well-established, well-established relationship from the uh, you know, during the Exilan, during during the Exilan, uh, you know, uh, plot. Um, so yeah, so I, I guess, yeah, I guess it is fine. But I guess it's like the purpose of this chapter is for yeah, this kind of yeah, this kind of fan service. It's oh, it's so cute. Now I, I'm biased because of the the circles I hang around in online. In terms of uh, you know, I was saying this before, I was in writing groups, so I've read a lot of fan fiction, um, critiqued a lot of fan fiction, which is you know, stuff like this. Uh, I've also recently discovered a um, another wonderful subreddit. This show you get lots of obscure subreddits. A subreddit called uh, Or Fandom, no, Or uh, Terrible Fandom Memes. <laughs> so it's just really, really. If you see, have I sent you any of these? 
Yeah, I'll, I have loads. I'll send them all. I'll send them all. To it's uh, it's just a load of really, really poorly done, like clearly just done by teenage, you know, by by pretty young teenagers who um have you know, just put together kind of four, four, a whole load of four panel, four panel comics of you know characters um flirting with each other for characters in stories who don't have relationships, but them becoming relationships, and it's all like you know that kind of wish film. Like there's like there's loads and loads of uh, Draco Malfoy and Hermione Granger. Of uh, you know, them becoming a couple, and it's like, yeah, and they, they're two characters who have interacted so so uh, negatively. Whenever they have interacted, it's been negative, and it's like, what? Why do people want this to be a thing? That's so funny. I love it. But, um, no, them, them crazy kids. So yeah, that's that's my experience with shipping, and I guess it's it's it, it's, it probably is uh, an unfair critique because uh, the things I see on a regular basis uh, aren't necessarily representative of uh, the real world. Yeah, that is fair. Okay, then we're yeah. That's the trick. That's all that chapter was. Yeah, there's nothing else in that chapter really. It's really nothing. Uh, then it's back to Chandra, and she is now at the Immortal Sun, and she reactivates it. That's about the extent of this chapter. There are a few things in here that I thought were weird. So one of the things, let me just read out the part. Okay, so uh, they get back there, and if you remember when when they went there the first time. Uh, Chandra like melted the platform that the immortal sun was was sitting on so uh, blah 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 uh, hold on so Chandra's squad was incredibly efficient two ogres and a giant helped Sahili align the immortal sun they filled in the melted section of the dais by pouring and pounding the melted remains of fallen thopters into the gap what well Ben we had how many was it 300 thopters we had or three I mean, sure, that's a lot of top three. Where did they get? So, um, where where did they get a a crucible to melt all these topters down? And surely there's a lot of other stuff, random bits in there. Like why? Like why do they even need to put the immortal sun back on the dais at all? Can't they just prop it up and activate it? I, I don't. I didn't know that the dais was part of it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't. Know. It's, it seems like you're. It's almost as if you're assuming stuff has happened off screen. Uh, like actually, yeah, the melting down of these topters. I just imagine like. Chandra like asking all the the giants and ogres to put a big pile of broken topters on top of the dais and then just melting it with her fire. But then how do you keep it in place properly? I oh, just I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, then we get this this part. Get, this part. Go on, hit your part. What? So you you say your part? I, I think. Well, I think we're both talking about the same part. But go ahead. Possibly. Yeah. So basically, the the description of how she actually reactivates the thing. It was very odd to me. I was like, hold on. Did she just give birth to fire? Or what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what yeah, that's actually what I was gonna say as well. Um But I think I, I don't I don't think it is. Oh hang on. No, I I think it's just badly described. And I, I think that's it's I actually I actually completely forgot to sign this in here, so it it, it kinda of ties back nicely to uh talk about um you know, the men writing women yeah, subreddit so where kind of you know, a common theme is something that if you read a song of ice and fire or something you're you see a lot of um you know female characters from their own point of view just describing their own breasts and it's not like it's it's if it's something they're aware of you know 24 7 but you know it's obviously well if, if you know, if it's something as everyday as that they're not going to need to describe it all the time yeah i mean yeah. i think there's one joke i think there's one, one joke in the subreddit that uh someone had tweeted saying Oh, girls, you go to wait a few days before your period when you're you become so aware of your nipples, you feel like they're written by a male author. <laughs> that is a good way to characterize it. Yeah. yeah, well, I think I think that's what's happening here. It's like he's the line. Um, so she burned so brightly, the others all had to cover their eyes to take a few more steps back. She brought the core of the heat down from her chest to her stomach to her womb. She lowered it down both of her legs to her feet, and then one last push drove her fire into the stone. As this um this ball of fire in her hands, you're pushing it downwards, you know, from her chest, you know, down towards the ground. Uh, and as, but then as, as she's just describing the thing she's passing the past, you know, past her stomach, you know, past her chest, and past her womb. Her womb's just her womb is just referred to, just thrown in there. And it's because I mean it's obviously womb is it's where we associate with fertility. So you're kind of thinking, wait, is she like you said, like is she giving birth or is this alluding towards her being pregnant or and then there's like dreams for her to have there's the phrase one last push which is just exactly, yeah. just after womb I, I i thought she was like literally giving birth to the fire or whatever but no it just continues on down her legs and and through out her out her feet 
Yeah, so then it's it's kind of like okay, very simple. It's almost like he's describing her struggling to do this thing, and he's just drawing what he probably thinks is a very artistic parallel between Chandra struggling to get this fire life to a woman giving birth. Um, Which that, that's what maybe that's fine. I don't know. <laughs> we're we're probably not the the most highly qualified people to comment on this. Like maybe I, I would, you know, this is where I would like to get a. Oh, sorry, I say that in a way as if it's like this is the only place where I want a woman's opinion. Obviously. <laughs> that backfired oh yeah that backfired uh obviously uh, you know women's opinions are great and uh i would like i would love a woman's opinion on this because as a man this uh this passage read awkwardly and it made me feel like it, it drew attention to her womb in a way that like like you say i'm like how often are women aware of their own womb uh and i mean maybe that's fine maybe they are that's that's why we need a woman's perspective on this, right? Exactly, yeah. And then I think it's it's uh, because I'm coming to this kind of being aware of uh, how, basically just being aware of how two-dimensional uh, Gray Weissman has been with his characters. We kind of said how oh, everything the fairy says is about time. Everything Chandra does is about freedom and fire. Yeah. It kind of, it kind of, it strikes me as if it's an example of that, even though it may not be that. Uh, that's what, that's what I'm, that's what I feel like it is. Yeah. All right. Well, then the result of that is, you know, immortal sun, a light again. Great news. Bolas can't leave anymore, so it's back to Dak Faden. So I think still all those chapters. So we've completed this kind of yeah side quest. I think the side quest was so short and inconsequential. Inconsequential. It almost just didn't need to happen. Yeah, like as as we said earlier, it feels like there were other solutions for this. Like it could have gone different ways and been perfectly well explained otherwise like a, kind of a rude writing is yeah i think you mentioned i mentioned it before that if you ever have a character describe a plan that plan has to have already has to have either already happened or uh put somehow or gonna run into problems somehow whereas this really was like yeah it's just gonna go there and and do it and she did it back to dak <laughs> all done mission accomplished okay dax dak's final chapter is going to be our final chapter for today as well um considering what happens in the chapter uh and how long it is like how much longer compared to the previous couple of chapters it's like a normal chapter length but you know it seems longer compared to the previous ones not actually all that much goes on in this chapter other than dak's untimely demise Uh, yeah exactly it seems like it really is this chapter itself is an homage to dak's backstory uh his dak story you might call it because uh, we we just immediately get like um, get re- references to something he'd done before. Uh, like it was chaos, true chaos, like the nightmares he had suffered through before Ravos and the death of Theros had put an end to Ashok's sleep curse. It's like I don't know what any of those words are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For for us 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 uh, players who who started after Theros. So like when I started, Theros was was still out, but I didn't know anything about the story of it. And then you started a, about a year after that. You know, we don't really know anything about that. So obviously Dak was more involved there, or at least somewhat involved. And we don't know anything about that. So we can we can get the true experience of being someone who is new to the game in this chapter. Exactly, exactly. How, I think um, uh, maybe this would be... How did, how, did, how, did it, how did it make you feel? Make you feel? Um, like reading all, feel nothing. reading all that stuff that you'd never heard of before. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, well, I made a note that says, "What are all these names?" Because I think, I think there's more later on in the chapter where it is just names and names of people who you don't know. Okay. Not even mentioned earlier on in the story. Yeah, it's like right at the end, right when he just as he's dying. So I think um, well, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but in terms of the, the actual cards from the from the magic set with you know, the planeswalker cards, so all the planeswalkers you've seen here, I think, yeah, all the planeswalkers we've come across so far have been represented on a card in the game. Uh, except for Dak, and Dak is a major character in the story. As and then, you know, as you know, he's a he's, he quickly became a fan favorite of us. Uh, but then, but he doesn't have a card in you know, in the game. Um, where Ashiok, under on, on the other hand, does. But Ashiok doesn't have any kind of appearance in the story at all, apart from this reference. I'm fairly, I'm fairly sure this is the only time he was mentioned. And uh, it's kind of, I, I think it kind of points to a big disconnect between the people who design the game and the people who. Do the story, or had because yeah, Mark Roser, Rosewater, um, one of the lead designers of Magic, uh, he had a blog post. He basically answered answer the question saying uh, how uh, 
yeah, really did that. When they when they were designing the cards for the game, they didn't realize how much of a role Dax's character would have in the story. Because yeah, because it's he, he's had so many arcs and so many things he's done by himself. Uh, he is quite central. He is quite a central character. Yeah, Ashok had a card, and Ashok's not even in this. Uh, oh yeah, apart from this one reference, uh, seems really strange. Yeah, you can you can really see the disconnect if you look at the the, the card set and this book and then the trailer. So the trailer for War of the Spark made a big splash. It was the first time that they had done a, like a full CG, this is a story that we're telling trailer for a set. And it was so good. Everyone loved it. But in the trailer, which was the first thing that we saw of this, right? So we hadn't seen any of this information before. But in the trailer, Dak gets his spark taken by an Eternal. And everyone was like, holy shit, is, is Dak dead? Is that real? Is that real life? Because the the trailer is shot in kind of a weird way. It's like a reverse uh, time story thing. And then then when the book came out and the cards got released, well, the, the cards that came out and there's like, oh, well, there's no Dak card. That's really weird. We have all these Planeswalker cards, but no Dak. And then in the book, he dies in kind of the same way. An Eternal, you know, takes his spark. But it's actually quite different because in the trailer, he's like looking and pleading with Liliana. And here in this part, Liliana is just not involved at all. She's just not there. He's on his own. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, yeah. So, 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 yeah, so it's also like have these three separate entities the people who made the trailer, the people who wrote the, the, the team behind this book, and then the team behind design of the cards. Like, they, it's like there is no communication between the three of them, the three of those groups, because like, there easily could have been a card uh, that showed, actually, maybe there is. Is there a card that shows that dying in the Domri? No, only Domri. Yeah, only Domri. So, and then Domri, yeah, Domri's death was even smarter. Um, these two, these three groups had, were just working almost entirely dependent on one another. Or maybe they're kind of, their deliverables were at different times, it could have been, or it could have been different timelines. Uh, but I think Mark Rosewater, in, in, in this you know, brief uh, post he made on his blog, kind of said that it was something that they're they experimenting with, outsourcing the story, uh, you know, to be called a well-established, talented author, uh, outsourcing the story rather than doing the story in-house. Uh, and I mean, I think yeah, this book, this book is testament that that, that approach is a colossal failure. <laughs> then on the other hand, the the Wilderness Quest uh, does seem like it is very, very good, and I think that's exactly what I, I was really hoping uh, that the Warriors of Arc would be of that quality. Um, you know, just to be an actual, a really good kind of story. That's uh, kind of it's. I don't know, well, I haven't read it, but a point the professor made about the Wilderness Quest was after reading the Warriors of Arc, he thought the Wilderness Quest was going to be. You know, we have these two characters going on an adventure to find their father. Uh, it's he was anticipating that it does be like, oh, there's one chapter where they meet the Little Mermaid, and another chapter where they meet Hansel and Gretel, and another chapter where they meet the Gingerbread Man. Uh, all, all these characters we've seen, you know, on the cards. Uh, whereas he said, I wasn't like that at all. It was just like their own entirely separate, uh, independent story that had a few beats in common with the story we see unfold in the cards, uh, but not necessarily kind of you know, adhering to it. Not necessarily, not, not really being kind of forced on on those, you know, kind of train tracks of the story established by the cards. It is, um, it feels like we really are kind of hitting story beats, kind of shadow running, running back and forth. Yeah, it feels like it's just, it's be, she's very, the characters are very forced to do things that aren't necessarily, you know, in alignment with their own characterization. They have such little characterization in the first place. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, one positive that I'll give Greg about this chapter is that most of the, battle scenes are described actively with a past simple tense and most of them are not simply describing examples of what uh, what Dak could do but are in fact giving an actual concrete description of, of an actual battle. No, I, I think there's an example Roy had where it wasn't that but uh, I see later on yeah, he, he does um... Yeah, most. I, I did I did notice there were, there were one or two times where he's like, oh he could do this or whatever uh, and that's obviously bad. We've we've uh, picked that picked that out a few times. That's one of the one of Greg's signature moves uh, here. But he, I he, I think he did a better job in this chapter of grounding us with the character, which is good because when something traumatic happens to the character, you want to be there with them. Definitely, yeah. There's a lot of descriptions of stabbing Eternals in this chapter, which again, I'm just going to protest. They're supposed to be coated with like metal or stone or whatever. At one point, we have a description of Dak stabbing Eternals in the head and twisting the blade or turning the blade. 
And it's like, what? How are you turning the blade? They are made of stone. I, I thought they didn't. Uh, our first encounter in our first encounter with Eternals, didn't they go through, uh, or Greg went through great lengths to describe how impenetrable their armor is? Right? What didn't happen? Yes, and then it was really established. It. It's just like, oh well, th- this aspect of these enemies is very inconvenient for battle scenes. So I'm gonna forget about it slowly. Yeah, yeah. It's like um. Oh, this example that I think this I think about this on a regular basis. Uh, in season one of Lost, Burn Light Lost before it, it ended, yeah. uh, we had a scene where the characters the characters discovered uh, you know, oh, what do they call it the the vault or there's like a thing the hatch yeah the hatch. So the characters two of the characters went on a big long journey and it was, I think it was a journey that took an entire episode and it was supposed to be very 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 far away when they found this hatch and uh, they brought the news back to the back to the camp. And then everyone went out on a big adventure back towards this, this hatch, which is established to be very, very far away. Um, and then kind of season one kind of ends with a kind of a cliffhanger with the hatch. I think it opens or something. Uh, but then in season two, because uh, the hatch is you know, uh, a big part of the scenery, kind of it's a, it's um, you know, one of the kind of interior sets, you could say, where a lot of the stuff takes place. Uh, now, because it's more convenient for the characters, that they just have the hatch, they, they just treat the hatch as if it's only just, you know, um, five minutes away. That uh, it's, when when the hatch's role becomes less mysterious and now becomes an active thing that takes part in the storyline, uh, it's now no longer difficult to get to, and it's now it's just within reach uh, by the people of the camp. Of the camp. And I feel like that's kind of the transformation we've seen uh, Eternals go through here, uh, where it's like, oh no, they're really hard to kill, and then you know, ten battles later, it's like, oh well, now the struggle isn't necessarily about trying to kill Eternals; it's about something else be easy to kill. Yeah. And I think things like that happen in a lot of TV series. Like this is one of the main problems that people had with Game of Thrones as well. Uh, towards the end, like you had journeys from from the north to uh, King's Landing or whatever taking place over several episodes in the first season. And then you see in the same episode now characters traversing the same distance or whatever. And obviously, as an audience, you're supposed to think, oh, it's a time skip. We just didn't hear about the journey because nothing eventful happened on the journey, but that's a bit of a tough pill to swallow sometimes. Or, you know, they rode on a dragon, whatever. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that is a far more apt and accurate and uh, um, relevant example uh, than Lost. So, yeah, that's that, that, that's exactly what it is, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, it's, it's pretty egregious here because literally in the same chapter we have the fact that uh, the... the 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 magic uh, or the power that Dak is using to kind of uh, crowd control the Eternals so that he can deal with them in this chapter is a hex that he has suddenly recalled how to use that magnetizes them and sticks them together. I mean, they're being magnetized because they're made of like stone and metal. It's not, it's not very well described exactly what Lazotep is, but it's some kind of stone or metallic stone or something like that. So if they're being magnetized together by their skeletons, then surely, surely they are not stabbable. Yeah, yeah definitely. Anyway, uh, yeah, Dak's final moments. His jacket gets ripped. That's very sad. Oh no, I didn't notice that. <laughs> the jacket. Yeah. Oh wow. So it, it, that's sad. I think it is. It is actually kind of dramatic the way that it's described in the book. But once again, I couldn't help but imagine it in like cinematography. And how much better it would look in like slow motion or whatever. And especially if I feel like if the if the events of this novel were on screen, I'd be much more attached to a lot of the characters, including Dak. I think I I mean we already like Dak one of the most in the book anyway. And I feel like I'd have a really strong connection with him if he were on screen and portrayed by the right actor and stuff like that. So you can you can really see it like he he's he's being about to be grasped. So early earlier on in the battle. He's about to be grasped by an Eternal, and somebody pulls him back. Who is it? It's like Karn or something. Karn puts his, he feels a hand on his shoulder, and Karn yanks him out of arm's way, and they acknowledge each other, and then go go about fighting, uh, continuing to fight. And then the same thing happens in in his final moments. He he's about to get grabbed by an Eternal. It it, it yanks his his sleeve, and then he feels a hand on his shoulder pulling him back, and he's like, oh, thank God, uh, I'm fine. But actually, on the hand on his shoulder is an Eternal. So he kind of turns around and and gets his spark harvested in that moment. And, and it's, that's something that works very well. That would work very well on screen. Yeah, you're right. With a, with a, with a, as a visual, yeah, kind of as a visual. Um, have like the the frame of the hand on the shoulder be like the very same one we saw with Karen, and then 
We turn around and the music changes. Dramatic, dramatic bowstrings. And it's not. It's uh, the turtle. Yeah. As, as easy to imagine. I, I think it's still. It's one of these things that you can see it working well on 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 screen, but it's not on paper. Not on paper, Greg. It's because they're kind of like a. You can kind of see it's going to happen before it happens. You know, and then the way it's it's put on it's put on the page. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think it's like so bad. I think it's a it's a fine idea and like it's okay it was reasonably satisfying slash shocking to read i didn't have a huge problem with it but i just see you know i visualize it in my head i'm like oh this could be so much better if they just made a movie or an animated series out of this or something yeah and uh a somber note we're gonna end it right i mean well we gotta give a moment a moment's pause to uh um the, his, his last word his please and his final thoughts of Dommy Raid, he thought of Atha, of Sifa, of Grent, of Marsh, of, of Donald, of Dixon, of, of Dasher and Dixon, Richard Dixon. <laughs> he thought of Mario. He thought of thought of uh, Dopey and Grumpy. And thought of <laughs> Ash and Brock and Misty. He thought of all these people who we haven't seen <laughs> in the story. Yeah. It was a bit much in that final sentence, right? It was just like, oh, some people that he knows. Here you go. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I feel like, I mean, I, I end on a note, but I just want to Google at least one of these names. Sifa Grent. Sifa Grent. I mean, is that, I, I'm sure, I mean, obviously, I think you're right. You said that you, you mentioned that these are probably all um, previous characters from Ral's backstory who we know from, or, you know, who fans of his or you know, fans of, of uh, his story would know of to Grent. Is a she's a human planeswalker from Grixis. Ooh, I like Grixis. Oh, that's fine. That's <laughs> he thinks of the Grixis lady. Lady. Fair enough. I mean, like, yeah, it, it's it's fine. Uh, it, it's obviously a little bit of fan service. I, I mean, I hope all those names are known and people who are into Dax character get the little references. I mean, they're not really references as such. They're more just like very plainly spelled out in black and white. But whatever. Uh, you know, that's that's how he's got to go. That's how he's got to go. I I do feel like they just kind of did did Dak dirty here. They kind of oh definitely yeah yeah down the river. Like I I did not see anyone being positive about Dak's death on like in discussions on Reddit or whatever after the book came out. Yeah yeah, there's, there's nothing kind of heroic or ironic about it. No, it is kind of it was like an accident. Yeah, maybe that's fine because it's kind of like I mean stuff like that does happen that's that's real life but we're not really coming to the magic story for something that's true to real life or true to life experiences like especially horribly negative experiences like death being senseless i would prefer death to have meaning in my in my uh fantasy stories that i read on the weekend i think so it's like yeah you, you didn't come for a, an existential challenge no no it's like um I think I watched, well, when I said, uh, in school, oh, yeah, I remember when I was a teenager, I watched Donnie Darko. I remember I loved the movie Donnie Darko right up till the end when I realized it didn't make any sense. <laughs> and I asked, so told someone, said, oh, I didn't like it, it didn't make any sense. And then the person said, well, Alan, life doesn't make, life doesn't always have to make sense. Movies should. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's fine to make a piece of art that challenges assumptions and ideas. But I, I don't think that a, a novel, a magic novel, is necessarily the place to do that. So, also, I've, I've, never, well, seen, I've never seen Donnie Darko. I could actually, I could, I could rant a lot for a long time about Donnie Darko, but I won't. All right. Uh, it's, it actually is, there's, there's a cool, it, yeah, at the time, but now it's kind of, it's supposed to be open, open-ended. And, um, uh, you know, you have your own interpretation as to what actually happened. Like, was it all real? Was, was it all in his head? So, I, I think that's fine. But then there was a director's cut where they had uh, excerpts from a book he was reading in the so the book he's reading in in, in the movie uh, ex- excerpts from that book were are like put on the screen during this director's cut like a kind of a thing that was made after the fact and these kind of page excerpts uh, describe kind of the sci-fi magic behind what's happening which kind of takes away from the original story. Yeah. All right. Well, moment of silence for the greatest thief in the multiverse. One, two, three. All right, let's move on. Uh, next week, we've got <laughs> Liliana Vess. We're almost there. We're, we're in kind of the home stretch now. What are we on? Chapter 55 out of, what did you say, 69? So I guess nice. We have a fair few left. We have maybe, maybe five 
no, it uh, depends. Some some of the chapters are are really short, are they? My my notes just get more and more short uh, as as we go. Ah, okay. As we go further, uh, I don't have anything particularly amusing about this chapter. Look forward to. Um, wasn't there like a line before that said Gideon was born to ride a Pegasus? Oh. Uh, I think just that that line happens again. Oh God. <laughs> okay. That's... Let's get ready for that. Okay. Let's prepare ourselves mentally. All right. That is going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in contact with us, give your opinion on anything that we've discussed here today. Maybe uh, give us a woman's view on Chandra's womb. That would be sweet. Uh, you can tweet at us at Pages Uncharted on Twitter. All right. That's going to do it from us this week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.